What's up, Track Fam? Just enjoying life. When you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you achieve it. Good vibes. The right. Sunday vibe today is on. Real. Like on. Real. Track Collective to bring more people together. We gotta go big. Just do it. Welcome to the tribe. Aloha and half a day, everyone. My name is Dylan Kergo, and this is the Tribe Collective Podcast. Today, we are with Dory Ye. How are you doing, Dory? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I was a little nervous to start this podcast today because our, our, our mutual friend, Sam, told me you were nervous. So I was like, oh, if she's nervous, is there something to be nervous about? And then I got super nervous. And so I had to like go for a run this morning. And um, I went to the sauna this morning. Just to prepare for this podcast. Oh man, um, yep, I love it. Yeah, actually, this morning I so I usually go to this hit class um, called Rumble. It's actually this hat right here, um, the logo. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about what I was going to talk about today. So um, yeah, you and I both in the same boat. <laughs> well, so Sam, Sam, who was our mutual friend, um, put me on to you and said, my friend Dory, who is my friend from um, was from middle school or high school. Yeah, middle like eighth grade. Okay, so she was saying this is this this crazy chick. She she has this great story, and you got to talk to her and have her on the podcast. <laughs> and so I just want you to introduce yourself, and and we'll go from there. Perfect, cool. Well, uh, shout out to Sam. Love you, girl. Um, well, I'm Dory. Um, I'm raised in Hawaii, so I was born in Taiwan, and then immigrated to the U.S. when I was seven. I learned to speak English when I was seven, um, moved around for a little bit between New York and California. And then uh, when I was 10, my mom and I landed in Hawaii. And then that's where I spent the or most of my life. Um, mm -hmm. So in the off time, I uh, like to do a bunch of things. I'm a skater. I love playing guitar. I'm a wine enthusiast. Recently got into running. Um, and I'm also an advocate for LGBT and uh, mental health. Um, awesome. And then professionally, um, I'm also a user experience researcher at Peloton. At Peloton. Okay, cool. So what what made you guys move from uh, Taiwan to the U.S.? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so it's funny because my parents were applying for a green card um, before mm -hmm. I was born. And literally two weeks before I was born, uh, they they got their green card. So uh, when I was born, I was just naturalized. So I, I was able to be a U.S. citizen. Um, and so my parents were professors in Taiwan. Um, they traveled, like they've studied in, in the U.S. Um, here and there, but they were teaching in Taiwan at the time. Um, and then when I was seven, I started elementary school. Um, and mm -hmm. disclaimer, elementary school in Taiwan is brutal like it's I feel like it's low-key child abuse like what? yeah what? It's, yeah it's like okay so you basically have like a classroom full of kids like 50 60 kids and you have to wear your uniform and you have mm -hmm. to sit there um and you can't you can't move like I remember one time I had my shoes that you know if you take a step um music will come off I don't know if you ever had shoes like that but I had a shoe and I forgot it. I had a shoe that that would um, make a noise if I made a step and I forgot to turn it off. Um, so in the middle of class, it went off and the teacher took a meter stick and went, Wah! Um, like, whoa, what that? 
I, I, my <laughs> face went white. Like I went home and told my mom about it. Um, it's just, it's scary. Um, so, <laughs> um, and then, so it was maybe a couple months into the first grade and, uh, I came home and every single day my face was just white. Like I was just like blanked out. And my mom was like, all right, we gotta, maybe we should move her to the U S like this is she's, she's not handling this very well. So my parents were already thinking about moving to the U S and so mm -hmm. that's when, um, we made the move from Taiwan to New York and that's where my parents taught for a little bit. So, yeah. So what do they, what do they teach at university? I, I, actually, before that question, it's so interesting that, you know, their academics um, are putting you into a different schooling system that they agree with because people who are academics usually understand um, how, how child learns. Mm -hmm. So they, so they didn't think to, okay, maybe we'll just move you to a different school or maybe we homeschool you. Yeah, well, they're <laughs> in Taiwan, actually in Korea, just basically East Asian uh, countries, all the schools are like that. Just that's mm -hmm. just the way that the academic system is set up. It's uh, very uniform. Um, they don't really think from an individualistic standpoint, like everybody has to be the same. We eat lunch as first graders at our desk quietly, and we get in trouble if we talk and we can't fool around or act like kids. So it's crazy. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So that's why my because my parents have been in academia, they were both professors. They knew that this is probably not going to set me up for success. Um, major props to people who went to school in East Asian countries. Um, and I'm sure other countries like that. But it's it's really scary. Honestly, it's traumatizing. Yeah, I, I went to um, Mahidan University International College. It's a college in Thailand. And um, it was an international college, but you know, like when when you're from the U.S., if Hawaii's the U.S., um, you, you're raised to like speak up and raise your hand and ask questions to the professor or the teacher and challenge them. But that wasn't a thing that you did in Thailand, and so everything that the ajan or the teacher would um, would say, you take that as fact. But mm. But, you know, I'm going over there and I'm like asking teacher, oh, I don't actually agree with that. And this is why. And you're yeah. you're able to have a dialogue. And later the professor said, you know, like that, the way you're speaking to me is very untie. And um, but it's an it's a American way of thinking and having mm -hmm. these um, creative discussions to to have more solutions to to different problems. Just. Decide just having one solution to it. Mm -hmm. to say for example um to an issue at hand so that's is i didn't realize that was something that other countries as well in, mm -hmm. in asia were were also doing yeah i mean i think one it's part of the culture um because there's such a collectivistic culture that mm -hmm. um i think the one i mean this is my theory and i'm sure there's articles backed up w about this um is like you have to implement discipline um in order to get people to behave in a uniform manner, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's one piece among other things, but um, yeah, growing up in a school system like that, I mean, you know, they they scale up to middle school and high school, like you have to test into really good schools. If you don't get into a good high school, that means you don't get into a good college. Um, right. And so you're already set up in a system where if you're if you don't do well earlier on in life, it basically means you're fucked. <laughs> so um it's it's gnarly okay it's, so yeah. so you moved you moved to new york 
and mm-hmm. a very a very liberal place with a new school system how did you do yeah it's i didn't speak english so um <laughs> it's funny because i'm i'm an only child um and we i was in what around yeah i was in the first grade um i had a hard time communicating with people um and i think they were sure shock. um so you yeah. know how we had to do the i pledge allegiance Mm-hmm. and the yeah so well I, I guess this was on the mainland so right they'll, they'll do that but I remember this one time I I got up during the pledge of allegiance in the morning like I was like why is everyone like can, can I just do this later <laughs> so everyone's <laughs> like standing standing up there and I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and I'm over right. there like going to my teacher's desk to grab Elmer's glue and then so she had to pull me to the side and be like you have to stop everything you're doing to say this pledge allegiance and I was like oh okay that's me <laughs> and like my parents don't know they didn't grow up in, in the U.S. right so yeah that is it was fascinating cool yeah I kind of had the same thing because I went to school I went to Catholic school until until like the first grade well like so preschool and um kindergarten I went to Catholic school so in the first grade you do the pledge allegiance and I was used to that but then you went to another side of the room and you did the Hawaii Ponoi. And mm. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I was like, yeah. it was like, um, it reminded me of Pocahontas or something. It was so beautiful. The first time um, we, we did the Hawaii Ponoi. And for people yeah. who, are list- who, who aren't from Hawaii, it's, uh, it's like the thing that you do after the Pledge of Allegiance. It's like the state song. It's funny because it's like mad code switching, right? Like you go from a pledge mm-hmm. allegiance, and then you start seeing Hawaii Ponoi. Mm-hmm. Did so? Did you grow up speaking Mandarin or or Cantonese, or is there a different language in Taiwan? Yeah, uh, good question. So I grew up speaking Mandarin. Yeah, so I'm actually okay. still fluent in Mandarin. Uh, I learned a word from my friend. Gan. Is that Gan. Right? Oh yeah, that means eggs. <laughs> No, I'm trying to say fuck. <laughs> really? What? Yeah. No way. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. You know what? Wangbadan means bastard. You bastard. Wangbadan. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. How did gan means eggs? Oh my god. Gan, gan means <laughs> like okay, well, maybe it's maybe it's another tonal language. All I remember was I had to like gan, but whatever. Um, okay, so you you lived in New York after immigrating to um from Taiwan and you stayed mm-hmm. there for two three years yeah um I, we're actually only there for a year um I think my my dad had an opportunity in, in California to teach and he wanted to start his own like online school and there was just more opportunities out there in in California so we actually moved to um San Gabriel Valley um I think it's like south of LA, if I if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. we moved there, and I, that's where I spent um, like age eight to to ten there. Sure. Okay. And and at some point, you you and your dad and your mom split up, and then you moved mm-hmm. to to Hawaii. Yeah. So I would say um, around like when I was eight that's when mm-hmm. things in the family I mean I, I kind of always picked up on things growing up but when I was eight I just they would fight in front of me like literally fight and call the cops 
um, oh. and there were some domestics going on. Um, and I mean, I would see it before my eyes. So I, in my naive mind, I knew that they probably would have gotten a divorce, but I didn't know what that meant. Like what, how, how deep that would go. So, um, around eight, that's when I really started to be introspective and was like, almost kind of emotional, like a little bit depressed because like nothing was ever happy at home. And then because of that, I would act out at school. So I wouldn't do very well. Um, like I was what in the second grade and my mom had to get called in and be like, Hey, um, you know, Dory's acting up and right. um, we got to do something about this. So. Yeah. Um, Sam told me that you were a very rebellious kid <laughs> and you did it. Everything that the status quo was is this, this way you're going that way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Yes. I still do that. <laughs> I think well, it's gotten awesome. me in, in a lot of really bad places, but and overall it has gotten me in some really, really good places because I'm like, fuck this, fuck the rules, fuck the system, fuck what you said. And mm -hmm. I I'm gonna go my way because I like I'm seeing so much similarity in what everybody is doing. Why can't I be different? Right. So I think like it's starting from age eight, that's when I started. Maybe there's some um that's just kind of part of my personality um uh, from birth, but uh yeah, I I just didn't follow the rules. And so I got into trouble a lot. <laughs> wow. Was that hard for, for your parents to deal with you? Like you acting out, but also like, I mean, it's obvious if like, if, if the child's environment is chaos, they're going to act out and, and express that chaos in whatever way they can. If it's not at home, they're going to do it at school. And yeah. I, you definitely. know, I was the same way. I was, a, I was a terrible kid, but also because I had, I had terrible parenting. I love my mom. Love you, mom. She listens to every podcast. Oh, I love it. Hi, mom. <laughs> but yeah, but it was just there's just so much chaos at home, and you you need that outlet to to really do. Um, if you don't have the outlet, you become depressed, or you become anxious, or you know, even worse, suicidal yeah. or aggressive, or you know, you you continue this this cycle of abuse or cycle of aggression. Yeah, definitely, and um, a hundred percent, and I think, um because I was acting out, um, it, it also had some repercussions. So, um, I was also bullied during this time, um, a lot. And so a lot of painful memories came from that time in my life where I remember this was what fourth grade and mm -hmm. you know how you line up to in California. Yeah. This is in California. Yeah. Okay. It's like, yeah, fourth grade. So you know how you line up to for homeroom in the morning. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was standing there and there was this one girl, I won't say her name. I, I didn't know if she was, <laughs> I haven't seen her in years, but she was yelling at me. She was like, Dory, you're such a weirdo. You're such a loser. You suck. You need to shut up. Like, and I'm over here as like a fourth grader standing in line. I, I, I swear to God, I didn't do anything that morning, but like there were that girl, that girl and like her three other friends standing next to her and allowing that girl to yell at me. And that was like probably the beginning of like how I built some insecurity around like not being wanted and, and loneliness. Mm. Yeah. That's really sad. We know that she's just that girl. You probably know her name, her face, her last, you know, everything about <laughs> it's her. It's in my head. I know her first and last name. I can find her on Facebook yeah. right now. <laughs> you know that she was probably going through some of the same things you're going through yeah, as a child. Totally. Um, because kids are kids are usually loving people. It's it's when they are introduced to like abuse at home is when people mm -hmm. kind of 
kind of you can go either way you can become like very insecure very like sheltered and um like become like super closed in or you express the same thing that your parents are teaching you mm-hmm. or or whoever's teaching you and it's there's a bigger conversation there about being compassionate for everyone um mm-hmm. and realizing that everyone has their own shit going on yeah. so why don't you be nice to everyone and don't oh. be an asshole ever maybe re-rack your weights right oh my god no i'll go off i was so pissed i was so pissed like that's my biggest pet peeve at the gym yeah i can go on about that's a whole different story well i definitely want to start talking about uh gym and peloton and things like that but i just i'm just we're just trying to like paint the picture of who you are um and so what did your what did your parents uh teach in university yeah uh so my dad taught uh MBA students so business mm-hmm. business admin um and then my mom taught graphic design so my mom was a designer so I I always joke about how I have a very analytical mindset but I'm also very creative and they kind of play with each other I got both yeah of those. yeah I love that you have the right and left brain going yeah exactly and you know in typical Asian style they both have PhDs right gotta shoot for the moon in academics right <laughs> Dude, do you have your PhD? Uh, I don't know. Um, but my parents having PhDs w- was what inspired me to get my master's at UH. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it takes too long, and you don't make enough money as a PhD student. Yeah, that. Well, that's that's so sad. One of that's one of my goals in life is to to get my PhD. I'm the only one in my family who has a degree. Mm-hmm. Oh, so just like Congrats, that's amazing. Thank you, I appreciate it. Like we have very different backgrounds in that way because. My family's like, you know, like blue collar plantation workers. You know, I grew up like my family have been here for like a hundred years, like working on plantations and welders and stuff. So like me getting a degree was like so random and so far, um, Mm -hmm. so far from what, you know, um, what the, what the norm is. And one of the big reasons why I wanted to talk to you today was you defied norms, like you're saying. And you're allowing that to, to to breed success within yourself and and happiness. And a big message for for me, for Asian Pacific Islanders and for people from Hawaii and just people and like immigrants and people who are abused is that you have control over your life. Mm-hmm. And um and you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. You don't have to, you know, sit quietly and eat eat dinner if you don't want to, or eat lunch if you don't want to. You can you can, you know, really create whatever it is you want. And I know that's a very American thing to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I That's my personal philosophy. And, and I want to hear more about yours. And so you, you're in California for a year? Uh, so for, I guess, two to three years, roughly. Yeah, two years. Okay. Yeah, until I was 10. Because I remember my mom and I moved uh, the day after I finished fourth grade. Okay, so you guys, you so you and your mom um, moved to Hawaii. So I'm assuming your dad, your mom and dad got divorced. Yeah, so they got their divorce. Yeah, and then okay. as soon as that wrapped up, um, my mom was like, uh, well, she had a partner in Hawaii, and so it was kind of easy. So she had a boyfriend out there, um, mm-hmm. and she thought that it would be a good opportunity for me to grow up in Hawaii. Um, I mean, none other, right? So it's beautiful. Yeah. You live like in her opinion, you live longer because the environment's better for you. Um, right. She wanted me to 
be active. Um, and so it was easy. She said, let's, let's go, let's get out of here. That's awesome. So you're, I'm, I'm assuming your dad was the perpetrator of, of the abuse and things like that. And like, was kind of the negative person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot that I'm still unpacking to this day. Like I have gone through therapy about it for years and I still am now. Um, I actually, mm -hmm. I, I have a good relationship with my dad now. Um, this is amazing I mean, later on. Yeah. But he's really different now. Um, and you know, he's definitely helped me in, in ways like financially when I was like absolutely broke, um, when I needed him like later, late, like way later on, this is like a few years ago. But um, yeah, he was, I mean, I think I, I only hear my mom's side, you know, and now I'm learning my dad's side, right? His right. story, like why they got a divorce. Because from my mom's side was, he wasn't a good family man. He was critical all the time. He was, um, he was physically abusive and he, uh, he was always so condescending, right? And I've mm -hmm. seen it before my, so I've seen it, right? So there are things that I had to eliminate myself as as a romantic partner because I saw it in my father, and like I've made that mistake in future in relationships when I was in college. Um, and I, we can get into that later, but yeah, same, yeah. same. I know exactly. You're. I'm nodding my head because I know exactly what you're saying. Like, like you perpetuate those things. If you don't, right. if you don't transform your pain, you'll you'll transfer the pain. Right. Is, is right. what I like to yeah. say. Oh, snaps. Um, <laughs> um that's why i'm a fucked up ultra runner and run hundreds hey, of miles. Yeah. there we go i got we a lot of stuff <laughs> <laughs> um okay so i'm curious at what point did your english get as good as it, as it is right now yeah uh well thank you <laughs> um let's see i think i picked up on it really quickly so mm -hmm. i think by the time i was in i remember fourth grade i was able to have full-on conversations so um, they say that if you learn a different language before puberty, um, then right. you won't have an accent. So yeah, I can still speak oh. full on Mandarin to this, to this day. Yeah. That's and amazing. I can code switch. Do you do that? Do you use that for your job? No, I don't. Um, I should though. I mean, I know, uh, when I was in Hawaii, um, I used to work at the Kahala hotel and they said, oh, mm -hmm. whenever we need a Mandarin speaker, we'll just bring you in and so I I was useful when I was working in hospitality yeah that's fucking cool I love that yeah I speak um Nepali and Japanese oh, and, wait, and a little cool. and a little bit of Thai um <laughs> but yeah but I'm not I'm not fluent at any of them I can have this kind of conversation in Nepali but I can't do that in, in Japanese like I'm like intermediate at Japanese and like based not fluent but like almost fluent that's wait that, that's that's cool do you um do you use rosetta stone or what's the um platform? i was in i was in the peace corps in oh, nice. in nepal so so the the nepal um peace corps program is really good with language they like i think it was something like 150 hours of in-class language we had to learn in three months but also they like put you in like a wealthier Nepali family and that mm -hmm. is just a structure that every Peace Corps country has so you learn the language really quickly because everyone speaks at home and you're going to class and you're learning it and you're barely speaking English and it just like yeah. changes your brain that's the quickest um, way to learn a new language yeah just like fully immersed full, full immersion I've, ha I've heard a lot of good things about about Taiwan um I won't go down that tangent maybe maybe <laughs> later yeah but, yeah um so, so you moved to Hawaii with your mom, 
mm-hmm. and and you move you move in with with your stepdad yeah and... no actually well he was around a lot my mom didn't want me around him just yet like we wanted to get to know each other so my mom and i moved um to this condo in hawaii kai um and then he i mean uh he would just come around a lot and he was a very nice guy um yeah. nothing bad ever happened um he was very respectful he really wanted to marry my mom unfortunately it never worked out um but he was always really nice to me i guess he sort of was like a stepdad to me but uh i definitely gave him a lot of shit i feel bad but <laughs> i i was always like you're not my dad don't fucking tell me what to do la, da, da. so i Whoa. mean i'm sure that's typical yeah i'm sure yeah i mean yeah <laughs> that parents are, are are its own breed sometimes yeah um, yeah but they're i think a lot of times they're just trying not maybe sometimes they're trying to do their best not all the time mm-hmm. but so you you're now in in middle school in hawaii and like what what are the things that you like to do what are what are, what are things that um you found passion for you Yeah. Um, so in middle school, um, you know, that was where I really started to not, I I wouldn't say I wasn't ready, but I, I was discovering my identity. And I think that's where I really started to feel like I was a little bit different. So, um, so I'm, I'm gay. And I Mm -hmm. remember thinking, oh God, like everybody is talking about having a crush on a guy, like my female friends. And like, I just, I physically can't. And I remember thinking I'm I'm different in that sense. Um, and I kind of like that girl in like my third period, right? And like I was confused about that. So a lot of that was confusing. And then and then one day somebody was like, Oh, um, a lesbian is somebody who's who likes a girl. Uh, and I was like, Oh, so does that mean I'm a lesbian? And I was like, huh, that means I'm gonna be different from my peers. And I remember having a thought that one day. Um, I would end up alone because I didn't know anybody who was like me, you know? And mm. so I think middle school was really discovering myself um, and also created this pathway of, I just felt different. And that also kind of led to some loneliness because I, I just didn't know anybody who was like me. Um, I fortunately have a friend, his name was Maddie. Um, we're kind of had a falling out, but um, I wish him out well, but he was like my gay best friend he was also gay and we were two peas in a pod um and he was kind of that person I believe in people who come into your life for a reason season a lifetime he was there for a season and to kind of be my companion and my best friend during that time so we can um so so we can kind of grow into this together um yeah but yeah so so you find out you kind of find your sexuality in, in middle school. And, mm-hmm. and do you come out at the, do you come out in middle school? No, I was, I actually pretended I like a couple guys. So <laughs> I, I, Oh God, I hated it. I tried. <laughs> um, but I, I think, and I'm pretty sure my friend Sam knew, like, no, I'm pretty sure she knew actually probably everybody knew, like you could tell, like I would wear basketball shorts, um, sports bras, and like, uh, remember the, the Etnies, like the skate shoes. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I would those wear are... those. So it was obvious. Ugly like, shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Those bulky <laughs> shoes. Uh-huh. I remember, um, this one girl in my English class in eighth grade, um, she was sitting next to me. I won't say her name cause people might know her, but she, 
was like, Dory, are you a lesbian? Like straight up. Like I'm not even friends with her. She was nice, but she was like, are you, are you lesbian? Because people are saying you're gay and uh, I just want to know. And I was like, I'm not. And I just had to deny it. Um, and then I found out years down the line that she was also gay. So she was probably asking for herself. But um, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was to date you. <laughs> right, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think that time was just like, really, I wanted to fit in so bad. But like inside, I just couldn't, you know. And mm -hmm. um, and it was a lot of concealing my identity. Yeah. And when I talked to Sam, she said to me, Oh, she she came out to us in uh, our senior year in high school. Yeah, but everyone knew. Everyone already knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was honestly the easiest coming out of my life. Um, mm -hmm. well, of my life, but it was it was easy. So I can tell you the story of how this happened. Um, yeah, please. It was the summer before senior year of high school. We were at this house mm -hmm. party, and I. I, you know, while drinking, whatever, I had Franzia, shitty ass wine. We had like, <laughs> whatever, like Bacardi, like shit ass liquor. Um, but I remember, I swear that the house was on Hoikai Drive and I was standing in between the kitchen and the living room. And I don't know how drunk I was. I probably was, wait, was wasted, but I remember thinking it's time. Like I was standing, <laughs> I remember standing there like, it, oh my here, god. Like, it's like i swear to god out of a movie and in that moment i yelled i'm a lesbian <laughs> and like everyone stopped what they were doing and it was like what the fuck is going on but it wasn't bad it was just like holy shit this girl just came out and i think everyone's gears and their heads were turning like holy shit and and then everyone was like you know when you stop what you're doing and then they're like slowly mm -hmm. going back to what they were doing before. Um, <laughs> and then so I that and then I actually left that house party and then came back the next day because some people slept over. And I asked my friends and Sam was there, actually. And I was like, guys, I came out last night. Like, is this OK? Is like, are you guys OK with it? And they're like, everyone's hung over. Like, yeah, like, dude, what the fuck? It's fine. Like, it's still. And that was it. That was it. And then came senior year everybody just started finding out um no one ever directly asked me uh if I was gay like I remember this one girl asked my friend Ty Fujikawa um those who know Ty uh she was like is Dory gay and Ty goes yeah you know and she was like okay cool that was it it was that easy um so it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be it's a blessing to be in Hawaii for that reason is that we're so liberal there's so many like ethnic identities and yeah. um, sexual identities and just it's a very great place for people and just to come here and not feel like you're going to be ostracized yeah definitely and that I think that's the one thing I love about where I'm from is like I take this with me here as I'm living in the mainland is like come as you are right mm -hmm. like we accept all as as long as you're a decent human being and you're good to other people and you're kind um that's the one lesson that I've always taken with me and everywhere I go and I'm proud yeah. of that in Hawaii that's beautiful wow that's a sound bite I'm gonna write, <laughs> write that down <laughs> um Dory you're so fucking badass cool okay so you you go to school um you go to UH yep after, yep. after high school yep so I went to UH 
Um, I was actually originally going to go to Manhattanville. It's in New York. Um, but then last minute, I was like, oh, man, I cannot. Like, I, I, it's too scary. I, I can't do it. So I pulled out last minute and then I enrolled at UH. So and I'm <clears> glad <throat> I did too. So and I dormed all four years too and was an RA. Yeah. You, oh, so you dormed because you're an RA. Uh, no, actually, I wanted to dorm because I wanted to make friends and, you know, have the whole college experience. But my mom was like literally right down the street, like not even kidding. My first night at the dorms, I was homesick and my mom was like a 10 minute drive away. <laughs> uh, but and then, well, my junior and senior year, I became an RA. Um, I love that job. Yeah. Cool. What did you learn from being an RA? Man, oh, so many things. Uh, I think that's where I learned about mentorship. Um specifically one memory comes to mind and I think community is a big piece here so um there's this quote um gosh I'm blanking on it it's a Steve Jobs quote but anyway I um what is it people who think they're crazy enough to to do something crazy are the ones who believe they can do it um and I wanted to get that quote up on like our bulletin board um so for each letter I wanted the residents to draw their own interpretation of um, this quote. And um, mm. I, it was a lot of letters, um, but it was like a community e event. And I had people like, come like, hey guys, come, come, come draw these letters. Like just whatever you're feeling, just whatever, like art is who you are on paper, right? Like what you're feeling at the time. So I was able to get people to do that. Um, and it, it was beautiful. Like it was, and then we were able to put up all of the letters um, and it was like a community thing where we, drew our own interpretation of ourselves and then put together this quote um I think it's on my Instagram I could share it with you later but yeah, I think that's beautiful I love that yeah Please send that uh, to me totally um I learned a lot about um community if you're if you're good to other people like there are RAs who or I mean just mean or like power trips but the way that I was um I treated residents like a person so I love the quote where um, who you take care of will take care of you, right? So I always took care of them. I came to people in a way where, hey, like, can you turn the music down? Like, it just other people are it's sleeping right now. And like, it, I've always had positive reviews from people. Um, and, right. Yeah, and I, it taught me social skills in terms of how do you approach people in confrontations and how do you continue building a community in that sense? That's amazing. I think a lot of people have a hard time with that and when they're when they're going into an interaction with people they don't understand like for example a power dynamic and an RA to a student there's a power dynamic there and if you if you like are looking down at them because you're an RA they're not going to respect you because of who you are they're going to respect you for your position when you're out of that position they're not going to give you any sort of semblance of respect however if you just treat them as a human being because we're mm -hmm. all you take away everything about us. You take away our job titles. You take away our money. You take away all of that. You're still a human being. Yeah. It's like that's who you are um, in those situations is where you, you kind of, there's a quote. It's like, see, if you're on a date, for example, and you see how your date treats the waiter, people who yeah. don't give you a lot, who don't like really serve you well. And if they treat you poor, if you treat them poorly, or if they treat them poorly, then it's it's a reflection of how like how they are as a person, not and not who the person that is treating poorly is. Yeah, character is your actions when no one's watching. <laughs> character is your actions when no one's watching. <laughs> I like that. Yeah.
Oh, it's kind of bad. I'm, I do some bad things when I'm alone. I know, right? <laughs> like I pick my butt and stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we all have to. You know, you gotta do. What you gotta do. No, yeah. Integrity, integrity is actually a very big thing for me. Um, mm -hmm. I was talking to one of my friends about um, putting your shopping cart away or even um, like re-racking re your weights. Mm. Like, are you going to like, and even um, as an ultra marathon runner, you're doing like these hundred mile runs. Like you can easily cut a course, but mm. are you, you have a choice. Will you do the thing that's right? Or will you do the thing that's expedient or doing the thing that gets you um, that's more convenient? And right. so you're in these situations, like you're done working out. You, you've like, the machine has already served you. Do I need to put the weights away? Right. The, the shopping cart has already served me. Do I need to put it away? And I find that people who are able to, you know, do those things are people that you want to surround yourself with. Right. The people Actually, who that's aren't. A, that's a great example. Um, another thing from being an RA taught me to think about other people, right? Your actions, mm -hmm. like everything you do, well, not everything, but like, a lot of the things that you do will affect the people around you. So how is doing X going to affect X, right? So um, I remember I had, there was a banquet basically for being an RA. Um, and my boss at the time actually wrote me a letter and said, Dory, you have a lot of growing to do. And I was already offended, but he wrote, um, think about how your actions are going to affect others. And at the time when I read it, I was pissed. I was like, don't fucking tell like, you know, my rebel self. And I mean, I, I did do some things that were not great. Um, I actually had gotten fired from being an RA. That's like a whole thing too, that, um, really broke my heart. Um, but, uh, I never forgot what he said. I actually mm -hmm. ripped up that letter and burned it <laughs> that night. I got really dramatic about it, but it's still burned in my head what he said, like everything you do affects other people. Um, and so I take this with me everywhere I go. Like if I get lazy and I don't want to re-rack my weights, like what if somebody after me who is like an older lady wants to use this machine, but this 45 pound plate is too heavy for her. And so she, that runs her workout, right? Like we should all be taking care of each other. Like this is a gym. Yeah. I, you know, I want to, disagree with you and say everything you do affects someone else like we just said at the beginning of the podcast i woke up this morning and i worked out and then i went to the gym and did a sauna and like i like brushed my teeth and took a shower and i did that because i'm talking to you like how does that affect how does that affect you well it affects mm -hmm. you because i'm bringing my best self to the conversation with you and we have a better mm -hmm. conversation that way and that's something that People don't realize that nothing that you do, oh, this is my personal belief, that nothing that you do um, will not affect another person. So, mm -hmm. and there, there are obvious things too, like, yeah, re-rack your waist because it, obviously it's going to affect someone, but, you know, like take care of yourself because if you, if you go around and you have a bad day and a bad mood, you're going to like hurt someone else because you're not yeah. conscious about that. And it's, it's all about being conscious about again like what your boss is saying is like your actions will affect other people um, yeah I love that actually and now I'm thinking about it everything <clears throat> kind of works in its own way like everything has working parts right so mm -hmm. if I do this it's gonna affect something one way or the other my partner or like my manager or my coworkers or 
somebody that I come across. Um, and I love the way that you think about that. Yeah, I, it's, it's just, it, that's the one thing. So I have this hierarchy of values, right? So my, my number one value in life is my health. The second value in my life is my mission. My mission is to empower Pacific Islanders. And the third value I have is my family, which includes my partner, um, who is my girlfriend. And so it's that hierarchy is that I cannot take care of my partner and I can't like do the thing. I can't empower Pacific Islanders if I don't first take care of myself, if I don't empower myself first. Right. And so I think about that in that way is that if I want to have a good conversation, if I want to do my job well, if I want to, you know, climb Mount Everest or, or run an ultra marathon, I need to, I need to at least have that base level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs met before doing anything else. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Maslow's always thinking about, yeah, you know, there's belonging, there's food, there's water. Um, mm -hmm. We need sleep, right? Basic right. needs. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So, You've you finished your your bachelor's degree. What was your bachelor's degree in? So it's called communicology, and nobody ever knows what that is. So I'm going to tell you what it is. Um, Please. So it's yeah, it's basically the um, science of or behavioral science of communication. So we study the psychology Ooh. aspects of communication. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, um, and I loved it. I mean, I I loved um, learning the learning the psychology behind communication, why we say the things we say, why we think the things we think. Um, there, you know, there were classes on deception, like why, why do people cheat? Um, <laughs> we had a whole class about that. We learned about interpersonal communications. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great program for anyone who's interested in, I mean, not just understanding psychology of communication, but also public speaking. That's awesome. And does it kind of talk about like body language as well? And Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and the, uh, you know, like crossing your arms means you're being defensive, or right. having an open, open posture means you're like, you're open and and more friendly and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, one thing I learned from from school was, if okay, so mirror neurons. So if you're on a Zoom call and you mm -hmm. drink a sip of your water and you put it down, and somebody else does it on camera, that means that they think positively of you because they want to mirror what you're doing. So that's something that I learned um, actually in grad school. Um, but from the program. Yeah. So I look oh. for that when yeah. I'm on a call and I purposely scratch my eyebrow or I go and put my hands on my face and mm -hmm. like, is anyone going to copy me? Um, and you know, it's not always the case, but I mean, it's just um, theory of mirror neurons. That's beautiful. I, I studied clinical psychology. Um, nice. I have my bachelor's degree in that. And I'm hoping after I climb Everest, I go into um, sports psychology and get my master's in that. But um, I have a big mountain to climb before I even go back to education. But I just love, I love that. I want, I'd actually would love for you to teach me more about, um, about communicating because I have a hard time even having podcasts and even speaking to people. I, have, I, I get so nervous. Really? And, yeah, I, I say a lot You're of natural. ums. Thank you. No, it's not. It's actually really not natural. I, I take a lot of time in practicing how I speak and and how I breathe and how I present myself. I'm so conscious about it. So that's really that's really amazing. And I when Sam and I were speaking, she was saying that you got into Peloton with this with this degree in in, in like um, she said communications and 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 uh, personal behavior. 
Yeah, well, behavioral science of communication. Yeah. Um, I, so there, I have to backtrack in order to explain how I got to Peloton. Um, okay, please. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. I finished my bachelor's and mm -hmm. I realized that I wasn't done. Like in my heart, I, I trust my heart and my gut instinct. And I was like, I don't think I'm done from an educational standpoint. So I'm going to apply for grad school. So I got in and it was the same program and I, I, you know, I loved it. I learned a lot about, um, I mean, we learned verbal communication, nonverbal deception. I learned a deep, I had a deeper understanding of our interpersonal relationships and how we can continue cultivating why certain relationships fall apart. Um, and also cultural communication and, and health communication. So there, there's a whole bunch of different nuances of communication that I learned, um, during my time. So I finished grad school and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, all throughout grad school, I was working in a restaurant called Moku Kitchen in Kakako. I don't know if you heard of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I used you to work went... at Moku. Yeah. I was wow. like one of the first staff that, uh, opened up the restaurant. I was a server. Their food's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's bomb. Yeah. It's expensive. I try not to eat there it, too it often. But yeah, go they have a... <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, but I remember thinking, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do, but my parents are professors, so I'm going to go into academia. And so I was applying for a bunch of academic advisor jobs um, or teaching positions on the mainland. Um, because at the time I was like, maybe I just need to get out of here. I don't know. Um, I tried applying to Hawaii, but I already knew, I mean, it's small. It's a small market it's all hierarchy, people hire within the school system. So it, it would be hard for me to get in. So it was, I think, so that was probably one of the most pivotal times in my life because my friends had already started working, right? They had a couple years mm -hmm. on me and then um, I'm fresh out of grad school with no work experience. And I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'm passionate about. Um, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm working at this restaurant, but like, I hate it. I'm not, I'm not the customer service type of gal. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I have a lot of stories about how I, I said some really stupid shit and like bad stuff to customers. Um, and I knew that I didn't want to work in hospitality, but I remember thinking, is this all that there is to it for me? Like just, I know I can work really hard, but I don't know where I can do that. And like the best way for me to make money right now is at these restaurants and I, I can at least pay rent. Um, but I just was running dry. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So, um, this was, let's see around this, like 2018, mm -hmm. um, and then bleeding into, or going into 2019. So I decided that I wanted to move to the mainland. Um, I just felt in my heart, I had like, something was there and I needed more. I needed more. Um, and I always keep journaling, um, that I'm going to find my passion. I'm going to find what I want. And, you know, it was like a year of like, really trying so hard a soul search and I mean it didn't work during that time but because I was so eager to find my passion that I did a lot of things that kind of propelled me so like for example I got my LinkedIn up right and I started um, applying for different jobs I started learning how I can write a resume how do I write a cover letter I reached out to other people um, like friends parents who worked in different industries like you know, can you tell me about where you're working? I was just trying to figure it out. Um, and so that was your soul searching for you. Yeah. And then I think a lot of that during that time was pretty lonely too. Cause I mean, I was just working and, um, I just like purposeless, just like 
almost like it felt like circling the drain the best way to put it like wow. I just felt like yeah, I was kind of just going into a hole and just kind of rinse and repeat. Um, and at the time I was also drinking a lot. Um, and mm -hmm. I used drinking as an excuse for a creative outlet. So I would finish work <laughs> and <laughs> have a glass of wine, turn into a bottle, maybe even more, and then start writing and be in just, it wasn't, you know, my mindset wasn't in the best place at the time. Um, yeah. Dory, and, thank you for that story. Yeah. I really appreciate it. that's like I want to I wanted to backtrack a little bit because you were saying you're saying you just finished your master's program like you you achieve this level of education that a lot of Americans don't achieve mm -hmm. and you're and, and you're still feeling purposeless mm -hmm. you're still feeling like you know life's not right for me and which is just crazy to me because you realize that every echelon society that we can still feel these things these um these underlying feelings of loneliness, depression, purposelessness. Yeah, um, definitely. One of my favorite quotes uh is from Les Brown. Have you heard of Les Brown? Sounds super familiar. He's like, yeah, he's a very famous um inspirational speaker. And he said, when you're not pursuing your goal, you are literally committing spiritual suicide. Ooh, ooh, yeah. And, that's that's like, and for me, I just I just want to say I commiserate with you because there was a time in my life, this is like a, a pretty popular story that I have is that I finished the Peace Corps, like, oh, I'm like, I should feel amazing, but I don't. And I go back mm -hmm. to Hawaii and I become a truck driver. And as a truck driver, I'm just like, this sucks, this sucks. And I'm doing this for a year. And wow. during this time, I'm like soul searching. And for me, I want to hear what your, your soul searching look like more in more depth. But for me, soul searching looked like I'd write down in my journal everything that I wasn't mm. until I could figure out who am I? Like, what am I? Like, what is my goal in life? Like, what are my skills? What are skills that I want to learn? And how is that going to become my purpose in life? Yeah. And what, was, wow. what, That's what was that like for you? Actually, it was something similar. Um, and I just found it the other day. Um, I wrote in my journal. Actually, where is it? Um, it's okay. Um, I wrote in my journal. I, was, I didn't realize at the time that I was manifesting. So I actually wrote down everything that I wanted. So mm. this was maybe late 2018. And I wrote, I will find the job of my dreams. I will find my passion. I will move to California <laughs> and I will find, uh, uh, I will find a lot of friends. I will have a community. Like I literally wrote all these things down. Um, not, I didn't my know, oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't know at the time I was manifesting. I'm like, where is it? I literally had it. Cause I wanted to share it on this podcast. Oh, there it is. Yeah. And um, actually, one of the things that I wrote was I'm going to find a partner, a companion. And at the time, I wasn't dating anybody. And um, actually, I can't find it. But anyway, that's what I did because I wrote down everything I wanted. Um, and I didn't look mm -hmm. at it for a while, but I just looked back at this manifestation journal entry the other day and everything I wrote came true. Everything. Yes. That's it's amazing. amazing. Wow. I couldn't believe it. Like manifesting is real. You put it out there in the universe, the universe will work for you. I would say manifesting is real. However, you can't just write it down. I mean, you could just write it down every day and then mm -hmm. you maybe your your behavior will change, but you still have to put in the work to do oh, yeah. it. 100%. Um, like I want to share with you um, my journal. Let's see if I can find 
an entry because you're saying you will, um, you know, find a job, you will find your partner. So I, I, here's, here's in March, like I will summit Mount Everest wow. on March 5th or March 4th, March 5th, March 6th. It's, it's the same thing throughout my entire journal. I, I used to say, I will summit Mount Everest. I will, um, empower Pacific Islanders. Mm. I will, you know, do whatever it is. I will run 200 miles, but now, but now, um, as of like two months ago, I changed it. And now it is, I am summoning Mount Everest. Yes. You know, I am empowering Pacific Islanders. I yes. am, um, I am going to like be healthy and fit or, or whatever it is. I'm going to be a millionaire. And like, for me, changing even changing i will to i am is like you're you're putting yourself in the situation already versus yeah. like it's going to happen sometime in the future and definitely. for anyone who's listening like definitely have a journal <laughs> journaling is so so powerful yeah it is i mean they have studies about how um writing is healing um mm -hmm. and it's james pennebaker actually it was um a scholar that I studied when I was in grad school. Um, and actually I really, what you just said really resonated with me about I am. Um, mm -hmm. I actually, it's funny because recently I was also repeating out loud every single morning I'll wake up and I'll say, today's gonna be a great day. And because I'm looking into starting small businesses, I don't say I will be an entrepreneur. I said, I am an entrepreneur. I am mm -hmm. strong and healthy. Um, yes. And yeah, it's it really puts things in motion. I mean, of course, with action as well. Um, but yeah, what you said really resonated with me. Why about that? The, up. the inner dialogue part is is so important. Um, I'm just gonna say this really quick, but I don't want to go into it. But I just like I'm curious about like like cultures with without written language. You know, like how the fuck are they like yeah. journaling? Like what are they right. doing? Very you very. Know? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. So, so you're, you're, you're manifesting and you're journaling about the life that you want. You know, you finished your master's program. You're working at Moku. You're like, fuck Moku. You're like, probably, <laughs> you're probably swearing at Karen's, even though you're an Asian Karen yourself. Yeah, um, I am <laughs> loud and proud. <laughs> and, and you moved to California. Okay. So there were lots of nights where, I journaled late at night, um, writing about how I felt purposeless. And I'm I'm explaining this because for six months, um, I just stopped working. I was like, I'm going to stop working because I feel like I never have time to apply for jobs. So I'm just going to, like, I have enough money for at least six months. So um, at the time, I knew that because I was I was applying for jobs on the mainland and I wasn't hearing back. And I quickly realized that you have to move there in order to uh, to at least even get an interview be considered. So I was thinking in my head, I'm not getting opportunities. I think I need to put myself there. Um, and so I basically packed up my bags in May of 2019 without a job lined up. I didn't really know that many people out there, I knew a couple people. Um, and I was living at the UC Berkeley dorm for that summer, just so I can kind of get my footing and figure out housing. So I just basically hail Mary, uh, packed up everything I had. I had three suitcases, two guitars and a skateboard and I moved to, uh, Berkeley. It's like basically, um, 
east the east side of san francisco i i wasn't able to afford san francisco at the time so i moved to Berkeley. why 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 did you go to the dorms oh that's actually i forgot i mentioned this part so one of the things that i um asked myself was what do i want to do um what's something I, i've been burning to do um and i haven't been able to because of college and it was graphic design i love design i love visual elements that come together to create a, a picture and tells a story so I enrolled in a summer program at UC Berkeley. And so that uh, allowed me to live at the dorms for three months there. That is so inspiring. And so you finished the program. Uh, I didn't actually, because when I moved to California, um, I actually took a trip down to LA and I had a friend who was a recruiter tell me, hey, you know, you you, you do research, right? Like you have a master's, uh, you, like you should go into user experience research or user experience design I was like what the fuck is that like fuck off bro like <laughs> like I know I want to be in academia okay so fuck fuck off right and so for some reason driving from LA back to SF I couldn't stop thinking about UX so user experience UX for short and I was like what do I have to lose you know so I started looking into um what we call UX boot camps and a boot camp is basically a 10-week program nine to five every single day where you're like fully immersed in the industry and then they give you opportunities like networking um and real job experience well well you get client experience it's not like a real job but you work with a real client um right. and the whole goal is to basically uh fast track you into the industry I mean that's just the first step um but I ended up looking up UX and was like, I really like this. Like, I think I want to go for it. Um, so I ended up getting into the program and it overlapped with my graphic design. And I was like, I have to sacrifice something. I think I really want to give this UX thing a shot because I could potentially get a job through this and have networks. So drop the graphic design, still love it. Um, but I, that was the best decision I made in terms of my career, um, is to do that boot camp. Who who was the person that um, told you to do that? Yeah, it was a friend in LA. Um, like she was just like, I was just going down to visit her, and she was just like, you know, I heard of UX. Um, and you know, you should you should do that. She was a recruiter. Um, right. and I was like, okay, like I'm not gonna listen to you, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you like, did, <laughs> right? And and anyway, so. Um, I had heard about it. I mean, because it, it, UX is such a big thing here in um, the Bay Area, and it's a very hot industry. So I kind of heard about it uh, beforehand, but just hearing it and someone kind of referring you to it, it, it just gave me a different perspective on it. That is so cool. Okay, so you you finish your UX boot camp, and you yeah. now have this whole like paradigm shift. Yeah. You kind of have you kind of have this epiphany. Um, so what's next? Yeah. Uh, so I finished the boot camp and I knew I had one year. I have enough money for, I have one year. And if I don't make it, if I don't get a job, I have to go back to Hawaii. So um, Fuck, that I sucks. basically, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> and so I was like, it, I seriously though, it lit a massive fire under my ass because um, right after the boot camp, um, I started to fully immerse myself in the industry. I realized that I'm up against so many different people who have a PhD, who are also boot campers. Like I don't stand out. Um, so what can I do? So I did what we call a hackathon. 
a hackathon is basically it, it can depend so it could be 12 hours or 24 hours but you can work with like nonprofits where they are like oh we need you to fix our website can you and like three other people that you pair up with um, fix our website in like 12 hours and you don't leave that building for 12 hours but that's something that you can put on your resume so I did that as, as soon as I finished my boot camp was this hackathon and that made all of the difference because instead of having two projects in my portfolio I had three so um, I also had hands-on experience working with designers and other researchers and then like a real, well, in some ways, like a real client. So I did a hackathon, but then I finished and I'm like, well, I still need to find a job and I need experience. And so that was when I started um, applying to like a shit ton of jobs. So I was working on my portfolio, make it seem um, like more real world um, hands-on experience. I mean, I, it probably looked like shit, honestly, it probably was shit. And, um, but every single day I was applying to 10 jobs a day. And I think it amounted to probably like 300 roughly altogether. So like, I basically treated it as like a nine to five. Cause I knew that I I'm not that special. Like I'm just another boot camper that's coming in here. I need to make myself stand out. How do I do that? So when I'm not applying for jobs um, and taking a break from it that day, I'm reading. I'm reading UX books. I'm um, reading articles. I'm listening to podcasts. Um, I'm following people on LinkedIn and trying to learn like how they think. Like I don't have a frame of reference. So I I really immersed myself in the industry. Um, and I wanted to learn. I was hungry to learn about it. Um, and I knew that's what was going to help me because, you know, you get into an industry and they also have their jargon, right? You, you want to speak right. the way they speak. Right. So I wanted to be that person. Um, and so that was my hauling ass, immersing myself, applying for jobs, um, not stopping. Um, I had some friends from bootcamp who took breaks and, um, this was like right before the pandemic, pre pandemic. And, um, thankfully, I hold ass and I got a job and then I had friends who waited a little bit and then they weren't able to get a job and then the pandemic happened and then layoffs happened and it was even worse. So anyway, um, the lesson was... there, Go ahead. sorry, the lesson there is what I'm hearing is that with, through your resilience, through your real passion, you became the person that you wanted to be become. Which yeah. is not, which is not just like shouting affirmations at yourself or manifesting. It's like real hard work. And you yeah. said the word hungry. You're mm -hmm. hungry for that. And for people who are listening, realize that you can say you want to become a millionaire. You can say you want to become, you know, a CEO or or whatever it is you want to be. But you have to have that hunger and passion for it. Yeah, you have to. It has to be important to you. Right, exactly. I think that and coupled with the fact that I would be broke in a year if I don't haul ass really <laughs> lit a fire into my ass. Well, you were telling me you were broke at one point. Yeah, I was. Um, actually, yeah, I I guess we skipped that really critical part of my life too. Um, I don't know if you want to jump there really quickly. I can share. Yeah, okay, because I actually thought you got, I mean, you yeah, let's go back that way because I thought for some reason that you you let like you rekindled your relationship with your dad after after you got your job so you're saying that was before that no that was before it uh so that was okay. a separate thing um but me being completely broke um so this happened in 2016 um and so at the time I had recently I, I got fired from being an RA three months before my senior graduate or before my college graduation it was mm -hmm. devastating like 
to this day, it's still a sore subject because I love that job, but that's a story for a different day. But so that happened. And then I graduated college, uh, my undergrad, and then um, you know how you go back home after you finish college, right? And then right. two weeks later, my mom goes, we don't have money. Like, I can't pay this rent. Like, we don't have anything. Like, we can't get help either because I've asked everybody and we can't, we don't have, we, we can't pay for this apartment. And so basically for the next couple of weeks, like literally two weeks after I finished my college or I finished college, I was selling my childhood furniture um, and then going to work at night. I was working at Macaroni Grill at the time. And so I was quickly seeing my childhood like disappear in front of me. Like I was selling my bed, selling my desk. Um, and then at the end of the month, like my mom found a little place in Kaimuki, but I was, I was on my, my own. My mom said, you know, you can either stay with me, but it's too cramped. And maybe, I don't know, you got to figure it out. So that was the, you know, she was trying her best too. And yeah. um, for a second there, I was like, I don't have a place to live. I have a car. I have my 97 Honda Accord and I could live out of that. But I remember calling my friend, Kara, Kara, if you're listening, thank you. She said, no, you can stay with me. So I lived with her for a little bit. I crashed with her and her two other roommates. Um, thank God. But at the t- like for like two months, like I was like essentially homeless. Like I was working at the like I I worked a lot of jobs. So I quit Macaroni Grow. And then when I uh when we lost the house, I was like, I need a higher paying job. So I started working at the Kahala on the beach. I was serving rich people. And so I would work at the Kahala during the day. And then come back to my friends and sometimes they wouldn't be home. So I have to wait outside all sweaty and like depressed and like smoking a cigarette and just like, oh, this is, this sucks. And I don't know when I'm going to have a place to live. Um, and this was the summer before I started grad school. So that's um, a critical I- point for you. You know, you're, you like lose your math and Maslow's hierarchy means you lose like the first level. Yeah. That's fucking bonkers. I couldn't even imagine being in that situation. I like work so hard so I don't have to have that choice that you yeah. had but it yeah. almost sounds like you need to be put at the bedrock of like the lowest of the low to be sprung up forward yeah that. I remember the day that we lost we finally gave our or not finally but we the day we lost the house we gave the keys back to the landlord um and I went to my friend Kara's house um and they were all watching TV, you know, like, Hey, Dory, whatever. And I was depressed. I was like, I feel like I lost, I, I just lost a lot right now. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And I remember going on the sidewalk, smoking a cigarette and I was crying and thinking, this is the hardest part. This is the hardest part. It's going to get better from here. And I cried, finished, wiped my face and then went back and put a smile on. Um, And it was a very critical, like almost like a movie moment, just like, I felt like I lost my, I wouldn't say identity, but it was just like a huge blow. Um, and also, I was also going through a breakup at the time too. So it was even worse. <laughs> That's, those are, you know, those are designed. You were designed to have that moment. You were designed mm-hmm. to be going through a breakup and losing everything that you know, knew about yourself so that you could become the person that you are now. Yeah. That's, that, that's a, I mean, I wish you could, since you're a graphic designer, I wish you could paint that picture for me, like make an animation of you just like smoking a cigarette and crying. And then like, that's such a beautiful thing. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I still remember that moment vividly. Yeah. And that was probably the first time I, first time or second time in my life, my bad, 
um, where I really contemplated suicide. Like I even wrote about how I wanted to kill myself um, mm -hmm. and how it was single-handedly the most easy way out type of thought. I thought type yeah. of thought that I presumed would help me feel better. You know, I, I wanted to get out of this headspace. Like I didn't know what I was going to do. Like it would just, you feel like you're worthless. Right. Thank you. Thank you for your, your vulnerability in that. Um, there, you know, you're, you're, when you're speaking about this, I think of my twin brother who, you know, he got kicked out of college and, um, and he got arrested and, and he became homeless because he was in a dorm. Mm. Um, and, you know, you get kicked out of college, you get kicked out of dorms and you're homeless and you're, and he had to like find a job, uh, like working at Starbucks and living on his friend's couch. And for him, that's what you're, that's what that reminds me of. But for myself too, is that I never thought like suicide would be an option for me until you experience like, whoa, this mm. is nuts. Like this, now I understand why people would commit suicide. Yeah. And if anyone feels like suicide's the only like option, it's, it really isn't. And you, I mean, find that help and find, find the right my friends and thank God you had friends and thank God my brother had the right mentors and I had the right people around, but like reach, reach out for people and, yeah. um, and find, find the help that you need because it is out there, but Community is yeah. And Doria is so beautiful because you had two choices. You had two choices. You, you could have went down this path of homelessness and maybe some sort of abuse, a substance abuse or, or really like degrading of yourself, or you could have a cigarette, say, this is the worst it's going to be and be positive and put a smile on your face, even though you don't want to, and then mm -hmm. keep going down that path and, yeah. and know that you'll never have to look back at this. Right. It was, it felt like manual labor, not kidding. Like having yeah. to think like that. And at the time when you mentioned substance abuse, I actually was abusing Adderall. <laughs> um, that was, my one way to get me to motivate to get up because if I if I did think sober at the time I would just I don't think I would get up for work and it would be really hard but I remember every morning I would just wake up and uh, it was prescribed to me so it wasn't illegal but I would pop an Adderall but then I would keep popping Adderalls I would keep popping them um and then hence the cigarette because you want to keep that dopamine going um so I was abusing Adderall for a little bit um but I, I will say it did help me at least work right so i can make enough money so that way i could uh get my own apartment and i ended up moving um to an apartment with six other people and so it was what? a house that, yeah yeah See, oh it, on, date, on date street that was my favorite that was honestly that was probably one of the best times of my life and it was like i thank god i thank god the universe for giving that to me because after this whole thing where i was homeless staying on my friend's couch I finally had a community and I didn't even realize that I was asking for it, but I got it. And so it was four girls downstairs, so including me and then three guys upstairs. And these um, people actually, uh, I'm still really good friends with um, two of them to this day. Like they're one of my best friends. Actually, one of them just gave birth today. Pretty crazy. Shout wow. out to Haley. Yeah. Um, Ooh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, totally. So, you know, that was when things started at least to get better. And it was so surreal and i'm so grateful for that time in my life um because i needed to be around people after just like really grinding and being lonely and being depressed and not knowing where i was going to go next but at least i knew when i came home i had some friends 
there's a quote that um, your story reminds me of. It's uh, self-sufficiency is a river to cross and not an ocean to swim in. Hmm. Can you unpack that? Yeah. So, well, it was a, it was a Ted talk. Um, and the Ted talk was about um, like the cultures our lies tells our the lies our cultures tell us. So our culture tells us we need to be able to do everything alone. We need to, you know, like live, live in a nuclear family. We need to like have everything, everything that we have is because of ourselves and, and not because of anyone else. Yeah. And the idea is that when we're on our deathbed, are we going to be, oh, I'm so happy to have done this alone. Or are we, we going to be happy to say like, because of everyone here that I had this amazing life. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to come home to a, like an empty house. You want to come home to a, a house of warmth and people and community and family. Right. And right. if you are self-sufficient your entire life, you'll not be able to rely on people. If you can't rely on people, you'll never create relationships. Right. And I think that's a that's an issue that we're seeing after COVID is that everyone's like working from home and and you know working in offices. Like even for me, like I have all my meetings over Skype. Mm. Or sorry, not Skype, Zoom. Um, mm. And so okay, yeah. we, so we just have this this lack of community and a lack of um, of reliance on other people. And that is not the way a tribe is built. Mm. And so that's 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 kind of that idea of self-reliancy is a is a river to cross and not an ocean to swim in is the basis of tribe for for mm. us and and the, and the podcast is is that you need to create a tribe of people. You need to create this community that you can rely on and can inspire you and you know everything like that. Yeah, uh, I resonate. That resonates with me. Like community, right? We're hardwired for connection. That's mm -hmm. who we are as human beings. Um, like actually, it's funny. Peloton, their tagline is "Together we go far." So, <laughs> going uh, piggybacking off mm. of what you were saying. Yeah together we go far yeah it, it's true there i mean the, the full quote is if you want to go if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together right right exactly. that's um okay so you get your apartment you um after your stint of homelessness um at some point you reach out to your father yeah um so okay let's see i actually needed an so I finished, well, I, I walked in May of 2018, but I actually mm -hmm. needed to finish my thesis, which meant I needed to, um, I, I needed to go through another semester. So I would technically would have graduated in December of 2018. Um, right. Problem was I didn't have money. So I needed a thousand dollars to sign up for one credit. So that way I can graduate. And so I had two choices. I could either one, don't finish my, I can finish my thesis, but not technically graduate or two, I could take out another loan, but I was in so much debt already and I already don't have that much money. I don't know what to do. So I called my mom and she said, hey, look, your dad has really been wanting to connect with you. And I guess they have been on better terms too, which is a whole separate thing <laughs> of its own. Um, but my mom had talked to my dad and said, hey, Dory's really struggling with money right now. Is there anything you can do? And so he, my dad stepped in and he wrote me a check for a thousand dollars and I was able to enroll for another semester for that one credit and graduated. So, um, around that time when I graduated, 
I was going to LA to see some friends and my dad was also going to be there just coincidentally. Um, and I was thinking maybe I should, I should go meet up with him. It's been, I don't know, seven, eight years, mm. super nerve wracking. Don't know how it's going to go. I don't know much about this guy. We never really had a relationship. He wasn't around. And I know all of this bad, I have this bad perspective of my dad because of my mom and what she told me. And uh, anyway, long story short, I met up with him in LA and we had lunch and he was like a different person. Like he was telling me, he said, it's really hard to raise kids, you know? And that's why, um, you know, I try to support you and your mom when I, when I could. And um, he said, you know, I, I, I'm sorry I wasn't around. And like, I feel like that part of my life was so healing. Like, I feel like all of the, the, when like I almost healed that part of me in a sense where I, I wasn't a really good partner when I was in college, I didn't know how to mm -hmm. be a good partner. And I felt like just that him saying that opened the floodgates to allow me to heal, to find the help, like go through therapy and know where the source is coming from. Right. And yeah. I resonate. I 100% agree with you. You use the word um, floodgate. Like I guess he's a phrase, the phrase floodgate. And when I, you know, um, I, I grew up in the same kind of environment, like physical abuse and everything. I love my dad, um, but I had to forgive him. And when I forgave my dad, when I decided I'm going to forgive him, it wasn't a floodgate, but it felt like gears in my brain started to turn again. Yeah. Like, Something and it just quick. felt like, yeah. And I, I was like, and I literally felt my brain healing. Wow. Like, wow. it was like, it just felt like there was a warmth in my head. Like it was working again. And I was like, it was nuts. It was crazy. Wow. And, and the reason why I forgave my dad is because I was, I was emotionally abusive to, to the women in my life that I really loved. And you know, I, you know, I still apologize to her to this day, but it took a lot. It took a lot of forgiveness of, for him and forgiveness of myself to say, like, um, to realize, like, I shouldn't yell at the people I love. I shouldn't mm -hmm. call them names because, awesome. because that's terrible, you know, yeah. and, and I was, I was a bad, I was a bad guy, you know, and, um, and it's hard to it see doesn't... right now. I'm like, I just, feel, I feel like I see a good dude. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, and it, it, that took a lot. It took a lot of effort for me. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I resonate for you. with That's you beautiful. That. Yeah. Your story really resonates with me too. Um, and it takes years and a lot of self-awareness and really tapping into um, the pain. Mm -hmm. And yeah. understanding like this hurts, it sucks. There's nothing good about it. But I'm going to use this and be better. Um, simple as that. And that's, that's so great. I, I totally yeah. believe that you can feel your brain healing. Like that's such a real thing. Like it affects your physical body too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does physically. Right. That, there's a book. Um, the body keeps a score. Yes. Oh my book? God. I have it right there. I'm looking at oh it. Oh yeah, my God. It. Yo, Sorry, we're friends. I love you. Oh, yes, that's so Let's cool. Grab a beer when I go home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. Um, okay, so so we we backtracked, but yeah. now now you you finish your UX boot camp, and you know you're like doing this um, hackathon, and, and you create more more things on your resume, mm -hmm. and 
and it's not a secret that you get into peloton how do you get into peloton oh man okay i gotta back, like so i'm going to start the conversation from um uh, i did the hackathon i applied to 300 something jobs um immersed myself in the industry learn as much as i could the boot camp mm -hmm. is just a starter like don't like people expect to go through a boot camp and then get a job no you have to do even more work you have to work extra hard and if you don't have a phd or some kind of higher credential you have to work even harder because mm -hmm. i mean they always prefer people with phds it's possible you just have to work at it um so i ended up landing a job at levi's that was my first big girl job the thing was uh the role was a uh, user experience research coordinator and that what that translates to is ux assistant and so i remember when i uh, first applied for the job I was like, oh, I don't want to be a UX bitch. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to like <laughs> grab people coffee. I don't want to do like the stuff that the researchers or designers don't want to do. I don't want to do that shit. I have a master's. Like I was all high on my horse. Like, oh, I have a master's. And my partner actually checked me and she was like, you have to understand that they're giving you a chance. Like, somebody will easily fill your shoes and then be ahead of you but like the fact that you have a foot in the door and it's in a on a ux team you gotta you have to take it and she said that um everybody here is a valedictorian everybody here is very smart like it's not mm -hmm. like you know you're the only person with a master's you're not that special so i think it was like a huge reality check for me so i'm glad i took the job at levi's and i actually had a really great experience there i was there for about five months um, because the pandemic happened, I actually got laid off. But during my time at Levi's, I was able to get some hands-on experience. I did some things that I didn't want to do, like code data. Like it could be really boring sometimes, but now I embrace it because that's part of my job. Um, and I, that was what really set my career because I had Levi's in my resume. Um, so then got laid off March, 2020. Wow, pandemic. And um and I honestly was a big blow to my ego. Um, and I think one of the things that I had to learn was lose your ego, check your ego at the door because I was like, oh, I made it to San Francisco and like, I'm just this small town Hawaii girl. And then now I got laid off. Like, how am I going to tell my friends and family? And it was just like, no one cared. It's just like, you know, you're still you. And uh, I had to lose my ego. And so during that time, um, when I was laid off um, for about three, four months, all I did was continue immersing myself in the industry. So I was doing virtual meetups with other mm -hmm. user experience researchers and designers. I was um, reading all the time about uh, just the design process and research process. I was learning about um, how to communicate with you know your cross-functional partners. How do you do that? At least um, to get a good idea. So everything... I needed to know about the industry. I just immersed myself, listen to podcasts, um, read, network virtually. Um, and that's when I landed my next job and I was still applying for jobs. So I landed my next job. Um, it's called Illumina. Have you heard of it? It's like a biotech company. Uh, no, I don't think so. It, yeah, it's like a um, DNA sequencing biotech company. So um, that was also a really good opportunity. Um, so it's kind of like, you know how there's like a Facebook and Google here in the Bay Area? It's like the big tech giants. So Illumina yes. would be the tech giant in uh, San Diego. Um, that and Qualcomm. So I got the job at um, Illumina and I was a contractor. And so being a contractor in the Bay Area, 
is basically you're hired through an agency, like a third party agency who communicates to the company. And short answer is it's basically your way of trying out the company. So you can leave whenever you want um, and they can fire you whenever you want. So you're not technically a full-time employee. So a lot of people mm -hmm. go through um, as a contractor in the beginning of their career to kind of figure out what they want to do. And um, they're easily, usually during a layoff, they're the first people to get laid off because they're, you, they're not full-time employees and they're uh, disposable essentially, but it's yeah. a good way to get experience. So, um, so I, you know, I had a good time at Illumina. I wasn't there for that long, three months, um, did a little bit of projects here and there. And um, they were asking me to move to San Diego. And then I thought to myself, no, I am starting to build a community here. My partner's here. My friends that I'm starting to get to know are here. I just feel like my heart is in the Bay Area. So I started looking for another job. And that's when I landed at Charles Schwab. Um, and so wow. I left Illumina. Yeah, I, I left Illumina. Um, and because I was a contractor, it wasn't like a big transition in the sense where like I have to offboard and it's a big deal. And I wasn't there for that long. So uh, it worked out in that sense. So I started working at Charles Schwab and I loved that job. Um, I learned a lot about investing. I was working on the mutual fund and ETF designs on the website. So my job was to basically make investing easier for people on charlesschwab.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think that was where I really started to build my confidence um, as a UX researcher, because I, I mean, I was working long hours, but I was the only researcher on my team. Um, and so I, I mean, I worked like 12 hours sometimes, you know, I, I knew that the first five years of my career, I would have to, um, you know, get knees deep. Like I have to put in the extra work um, in order to get, to get ahead, to do well. Um, so um yeah, it was a great experience, but I remember thinking I have experience in apparel, like clothing, fashion. I have experience in biotech and now fintech, but I really want to try something else. Like I want to try a different industry to see what sticks with me, what resonates with me. And so I uh, applied at Facebook and I got it. Um, and it what? was like, a dream, yeah, I, it was like a dream job for me. And it was sad because I left Charles Schwab and they're like, oh man, like, why are you leaving? And um, I, I said, I just needed to spread my wings, like no hard feelings. I love everybody here, but I need to go see this for myself and I can't feel bad, you know? And so I went to Facebook and um, I was there for about a year and I learned so much about being, or working in a big company. You feel like a small fish in a big pond. You really learn how to work with really brilliant thinkers. Uh, a lot of people have PhDs. They have a lot of industry experience. So I was able to really get to know um, different uh, academic disciplines, different design disciplines, how people uh, how how people work. Like it just a lot of smart people. You get imposter syndrome, honestly. Yeah. Um, That's so inspiring. <laughs> I I want to I want to um, pause because the first job you had um, with Levi, how did that make you feel? Because you were you were really like wanting to you know you're letting this fire under your ass and just trying to get this just trying to get a job and so what is that like your first break how that first break feel for you and how would you oh. compare that how would you compare that to the, your, your Facebook one yeah when I got the job of Levi's I was like I fucking made it bro like here we are hell yeah and um at the time I know some of my friends from boot camp were still applying for jobs and I think I might have been one of the first that got the job at Levi's I was like 
yeah, let's do it. And it's right before the holidays. It was in November of 2019. So I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, I'll at least get paid through the holidays. Perfect. And it was almost like triumphant. Like I did it. Like, here we go. Uh, and the hardest part is over ish. You know, I kind of at least got my foot in the door. Um, and going back to your question about comparing to Facebook, um, honestly, I cried. I was like, I never thought that I would ever be smart enough, brilliant enough, um, social enough, um, anything enough for one of the biggest companies in the world. And here I am. Mm -hmm. And I did it. As an immigrant to the U.S. Too, yeah. And, and everything else that you had right. going going against you. Right. And I struggled uh, in school. Like I wasn't a straight A student. I had to work really hard to get good grades, if that. And so I never imagined landing here. And it was such a glorifying moment. Like, holy shit, this is possible, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I forgot to mention um, when I got laid off, um, was it Levi's? Actually, when I was like in between jobs, um, I, oh, okay. When I got the job at Charles Schwab, okay. I remember thinking, wow, like, yes, I, a really great, great company. I'm going to be here. This is really great for your experience, but I don't want this, um, what I did to like how I got here, like the information to go, um, for it to not be shared. So I basically wrote on my LinkedIn, you could probably see it, but I wrote on my LinkedIn that like the layoff really had a huge toll. It took a huge toll on my mental health. Um, but now I got the job at Charles Schwab and if you need help um getting your first role or you're struggling to find a job please reach out to me and i had over 50 people reach out and i um every day after work i would set up 30 minutes with them and then basically mentor people and that was really rewarding for me and it went back to kind of that academic piece where i love teaching and mentoring people so it was really rewarding like i wanted to give back i i was just writing this down in my notes i was like why aren't you like doing classes why aren't you teaching people why aren't you doing some sort of educational course for them but it sounds like you are through, through I, I was doing it for free and then uh and then I got tired so I actually that's something that I've been thinking about is um helping people but I I never like to make people pay because most most of the times people are just short on cash so, and I know exactly how that feels so mm -hmm. my preference would just be help people for free because you help other people they'll help other people you know it's like pay it forward that it's that good karma you know yeah right yeah i've i've done some mentoring and i've never i've never charged for it just helping people like you know just get healthy or budget or schedule yeah. their like just even like learning how to schedule your time well so you're not and, like see where um the gaps in your schedule is where you're just like wasting time and not yeah. realizing that but that's a big part of it too oh dude i'm i'm like we're not even we haven't we haven't even gotten to Peloton yet. And I am literally more inspired by this story than my good friend, Nikki Gay, who went from, you know, small town Hilo boy to going to Harvard studying neuroscience. And <laughs> oh my gosh. He, yeah. And like, he, he was like in, um, he was like in the top branch or sorry, the top job in the army, which is called an army ranger, which is like a very dangerous job. It's like basically the Navy SEALs. But the oh. army version of it. Okay, yeah. But this is way more compelling to me. No way. Um, oh my gosh. So, That's... So in, I'm so inspired right now. It's making me feel like I need to be doing more. Um, <laughs> no. Which is good because the, that's the whole point of this podcast is to inspire 
right. other people, Pacific Islanders. I'm a Pacific Islander, so you're inspiring me. So it's, I'm doing the right job, um, but you're doing great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so so you're you're working at Facebook and you're meeting yeah. all these cool people. That's that's a big um, lesson I like to tell people is that be don't be like the the smartest person in the room. Don't be the best person in the room. Like. If you can try to be this, the dumbest person in the room because you're going to learn so much more. Yeah, and exactly. Uh, I live by this mantra that if you are the smartest person in the room, you're not in the right room. Um, and when I was at Facebook, one of the main things that I learned was ask questions, man. People love to share information and just ask so you can learn. And a lot of times you can just preface, hey, I'm really curious about this subject matter. Can we set up like a quick 15 to 30 so you can talk to me about it? And every little information counts. And I really use that to my advantage so that way I could take it with me um, into my career. And then you're getting real hands-on experience with people who have PhDs, who have been in engineering for 20 years, who uh, maybe came from a different industry and then pivoted. You know, I met a lot of different people who have uh, backgrounds that are just not your traditional, oh, go into engineering or go into design. Like a lot of people pivoted um, and they're still very mm -hmm. successful. So yeah, I was able to meet a lot of brilliant thinkers there. That's beautiful. And and so you, so you, uh, so you do the Charles Schraub at Facebook and then you're like, I need to spread my wings. I need to go. Actually, so um, I not a lot of people know about this. Uh, I, I won't go into depth, but um, in August of 2022, I actually got sick. Um, and because I was also a contractor at Facebook. So, um, you know, I basically what that means is you don't get PTO. So if you don't work, mm. you don't get paid. Right. So you're hourly. And I was out for six to eight weeks. And uh, I basically another <laughs> fire lit under my ass. And I was thinking to myself, I need a full-time job because if I get a full-time job, I can get PTO. And so I was in the hospital bed on the phone with recruiters. I was applying for jobs while I was in the hospital. And then I, I would have recruiters call me and I basically have brain fog a little bit because I had surgery and I'd have to be like, uh, my name is Dorier. I have a background in behavioral science. I have, I've worked at this in this, these companies while in the hospital bed. My partner actually has a video of me doing it. Uh, so um, that's crazy. Right. Yeah. So I went home and I was still recovering. Um, for, I'm, I'm good now. I'm good now. Um, but good. I was recovering. And during that time, it, it was about like a six month recovery. So I was interviewing for a bun bunch of jobs. And as much as I really liked working at Facebook, I also didn't feel super passionate about the product I was working on. Um, I was working on Meta Business Suite. So it's the business software for Facebook mm -hmm. uh, or Meta now. And so I was thinking, well, you know, I just had this whole health thing and I really want, like, this is, I, I think this is a sign that I need to work on something that I feel passionate about. And that's when I saw Peloton on my LinkedIn and I applied. And mm -hmm. the interview process, I mean, I interviewed with like four or five different companies, but Peloton's really stuck out to me because I love fitness. Like I love working out every morning. I wake up at six, I go work out every single day. I either have to go for a run or I, I lift weights like because I have ADHD. So I get all my energy out. And so that way I could be productive throughout my day. Um, right. So 
yeah Same and thing. i ended up getting an offer yeah, at and, um you know definitely something to be grateful for because I had just been sick and I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And so now I've been at Peloton for like, what, four months now? I started in November of uh, 2022. How's that been for you? I love it. I absolutely, I love my team. I really like my manager um, and everyone. I, I, I really like working alongside these people actually. So they fly me to New York um, once every quarter. So I can um, meet my team and work shoulder shoulder to shoulder. And uh, it, it's a really great opportunity to be able to do that. Um, and the fact that I'm working on wellness, right? Fitness, helping people work out. Um, I specifically work on the app. So I make it easier for people to use. So I talk to users um, like you um, mm -hmm. and figure out what problems they have on the app. And then we make it better and easier to I have a I have a challenge for you for Peloton actually. Like what do you say to people who are like, oh, you should just work outside. Work out outside. It's better for your brain. It's better like sun is better for you, you know. Like um being around nature is, is calming. Do you ever do you ever experience anything like that? Uh like getting people to work out outside. Yeah, like like if someone were to challenge you and say Peloton is uh you know, doesn't allow you to work outside, work out outside. Oh, got it. Okay. Like I will say Peloton instructors, they're like world-class instructors. Like you just have to try it once and you know what I'm talking about. It's really fun. So they'll have um, themes like it, Broadway themes, or they'll have like a pop punk run or um, mm -hmm. like a pop cycle or reggaeton or um, like salsa, a salsa theme like they have a whole bunch of different themes that really resonates with you and you have like a hardcore workout um like i get it with outside and um i i, th I also think there's something to be said about mixing it up because i don't always like being inside um yeah so i like to mix it up but if i know i want like a hardcore workout and i want someone to motivate me a peloton's it that's awesome cool yeah. so Wow. So that's where we are now. That's, that's, um, and that's Dorie. Yeah. So I, I love, well, first, thank you for your story. And I, I know we didn't go into depth about um, some of the things that I'm sure we could go into depth about, but um, a big theme for the tribe collective podcast and a big theme for myself is like, is the lessons that you learned from your life. And like, so what are some of the big lessons that you would tell, you know, um, for example, someone who's trying to come out of the closet or, or someone who is feeling purposeless in life. Like what are, what are some of the lessons that, um, that you would like to leave? Yeah, no, this is great. Um, okay. Let me think. I think one of the things that is most important when you're purposeless is to just try things. Don't mm -hmm. just sit there, try things in, you may not like it, or you might love it you don't know but if you have the time go take that ceramic class go go take that gardening class or that cooking class or try a ux boot camp um put yourself out there and just do it and see what sticks because chances are something will and the things that you try is probably internally something that you may have an affinity for um so if you're purposeless keep going. And I swear it will get better if you just keep trying different things. Um, that's, that's for the purposeless piece. That's so beautiful. 
Damn, dude. Oh, I'm, I'm quitting my job. I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. Yeah, well, well, I, I work for uh, Outside Magazine and New Balance, but I also work at HPU. Oh, I shouldn't say oh, that. Uh, okay, well, everyone knows now. I work at... Um, I work at HPU, so it kind of keeps the bills. Like, um, it helps me pay the bills. However, I've been I'm super inspired by like you know working out. So, that, so I run for New Balance and I run for mm, um, Outside it. Magazine too. But um, yeah, definitely that inspires me to like really figure out how I can do that full time instead of just working, you know, and like doing side jobs for them. Yeah, definitely. And you you also uh, asked about coming out. And so mm -hmm. this is what I actually have my Instagram too. I have my <laughs> coming out story on my Instagram. And what I tell the queer youth is come out at your own pace, at your own terms. Uh, your happiness is paramount. There's going to be a point in time where you're probably going to feel ready. I felt like I fell out of, I fell out of the closet. I didn't come out. I literally fell out of it. <laughs> my clothes were too packed and I just fell out. I just couldn't, I was ready to explode at your own pace, at your own terms. Nobody's rushing you. And if someone is shaming you, omit that person from your life. Um, and I will say, uh, queer youth, you have a seat at the table. Like you belong, you have a community and keep believing that and go to the places where, you know, you are accepted and there are places and I swear it'll get better. I promise. Dory, thank you so much for coming on to the Tribe Collective podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. You're you're very inspiring for me. And I know you're gonna inspire so many people who are immigrants, who are queer, who are purposeless, and just everyone. Um, who anyone and everyone who is dealing with the same things that you are. Um Absolutely. I appreciate you and a big mahalo nui loa from Hawaii and I hope I can see you soon and meet Absolutely. you in, in real life. Yeah, I, I plan on going home soon this year. So I'll, I'll let you know. And I love to maybe we'll grab happy hour at Moku. <laughs> Perfect. That'd be so that'd be so beautiful. And we can invite Sam because. Yeah, exactly. The there we go. Cool. Thank um, you for having me. You're welcome. Dory, welcome to the tribe. And I hope I can talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. All right. We got to go. 100 miles. It's part of something bigger than ourselves. 29,000 feet to the top of the world. Hey, that diaries. Your goals should scare you. If your goals don't make you want to pee a little bit, I'm listening. You're not setting high enough. I'm trying goals. to climb Mount Everest, basically. That diaries. I love you guys. And keep it real. Try vibes every day.